Welcome back to the Worldview Minute. I'm Pastor Levi Secord. I'm going to try to offer in today's episode um, a summary of the Christian sexual ethic. We've been unpacking the lies, the distortions, the gospel hope, the truth God has set out in his word over the last five episodes. And six, I just want to put here a capstone. A capstone of sexual clarity in an age of confusion and degradation and perversion. That the hope of this sexual ethic that we have we've unpacked here. So let's let's start with this. I have eight. Eight truths for you today. Eight applications. Eight summaries of the Christian view of sexuality, the Christian sexual ethic. And the first is this: honor Christ with your body. First Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 20. We are told that we are commanded to glorify God with our body in how we conduct ourselves sexually. God desires his people to live in a certain way with a certain ethic. And that ethic is a sex reserved for one husband or for one man and one wife for the entirety of their lives. God invented sex. It brings glory to him when we follow his standards. Two, husbands belong to their wives and wives belong to their husbands. Now, if I were to just say to you today that a wife belongs to her husband, all these people would get really upset. The feminists would go nuts. But honestly, that doesn't take a whole lot today. But if I were to tell you that men belong to their wives in the ancient world, they would have lost their mind. The Bible has this way of offending uh, every culture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 3 through 5, we read that not only did the two become one, but a way this manifests is that the authority a spouse has over the body of their spouse. This is a striking counter-cultural statement. The husband's body is not his own, but it belongs to his wife, and the wife's body is not her own but belongs to the husband. There's a very real way that marriage in and of itself is a dying to yourself and giving yourself over to someone else. So Paul does not write such words so that a spouse can demand his or her rights sexually over one another, but that you might give the rights to your spouse. The Bible isn't about demanding things when we're talking about interpersonal relationships, but it's about us giving what we owe to others. The husband owes his wife his body. The wife owes her husband her body. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. You belong to Christ on that first point, and you also belong to your spouse in a very real way. Third, in that vein, marital sex is meant to be given freely and freely enjoyed. Freely given and freely enjoyed. The marriage bed, as we've read, must be kept pure, and spouses must not forego sex for too long. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. This means, and I've encountered this more than I care to admit in ministry, but sexless marriages are a violation of the marriage covenant. And they are a violation of what it means to be married. Now, again, there are physical conditions that complicate these matters, but a God-honoring marriage revolves around the sexual unity of the husband and the wife. They are to freely give, or they are to freely give to one another and to be enjoying one another. When a married couple actively seeks one another out and gives themselves over for the pleasure of the other, both of them doing this, it is a beautiful thing. And then marriage in sex is not self-seeking. It is not self-serving. It is self-giving. And this is good, and this is how the Lord has designed it. Fourth, as I just said, love, especially romantic love, is not self-seeking. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, love is not seeking. Paul tells us that love is not about demanding your rights or giving your rights. A husband should not demand his sexual rights or insist on his own way. Rather, a wife should freely give of herself to her husband. And it goes 
vice versa. Love is not about getting your own, but love is about dying to yourself and giving yourself up for the good of others. Five, procreation, intimacy, and pleasure of the one flesh union glorify God. Those purposes that are baked into the one flesh union, procreation, intimacy, and pleasure, glorify God when it's done God's way in a marriage. All the purposes of sex are God-designed, God-given, and are meant to glorify Him. Just like the rest of creation resounds with the glory of God, so does human sexuality when properly lived out. The world often wants to turn sex into a selfish exchange or something perverse or wrong, but God has designed it to be a part of His good creation that reflects His goodness, that reflects His sweetness. Through procreation, unparalleled intimacy, and pleasure, sex glorifies God because He's the one. He made it. Sixth, this one flesh union points to a greater reality. And we, we covered this Ephesians chapter 5. The physical relation between the husband and the wife is inherently dripping with meaning with, by pointing to Christ and his church. This is a profound mystery, Paul says, when he talks about the one flesh union, pointing back to Genesis chapter 2. But he says it refers ultimately to Christ and his church. There's far more than physical pleasure in getting your own way going on in sexual encounters than, or far more than that, because it points to the gospel. It's about Christ and the future glories and joy of his kingdom and the new creation. This is, again, this is God's world. He made it. He determines not only what is right, but what everything means. Uh, seventh, marriage and sex are designed for one man in one woman for life. We just make this plain. Two men cannot get married in God's eyes. Two women cannot get married in God's eyes. Marriage and sex are designed for one man, one woman for life. It is reserved for that union. And of course, this ideal is corrupted through the fall, through sin. And there are instances in which the Bible allows for things like divorce. But this is how God made it from the beginning, Jesus said. One man, one woman become one flesh. Through this, God is glorified. Eighth, Christians then, therefore, must seek to get married. It's a good thing to seek to get married. They should seek to stay married, and they should seek to raise godly children. All right, that's a lot for, for one point. But this is God's good design. You should get married, you should stay married, you should have kids, and you should raise them in the faith to the best of your ability, realizing that God must indeed impart the faith through his spirit. And ninth, and finally, this charge I put to you. Therefore, delight in your spouse because he or she is a good gift from God. You read Proverbs, you read Ecclesiastes. One of the things you will see is that God has given marriage to man. God has given the one flesh union to man as a blessing, as a good gift. Don't view your spouse as the end goal of your life. Do not view your spouse as he who or she who must make you happy, but rather receive them as a blessing from God, as a gift from God and delight in them for the entirety of your life. This is one of the many good things God has given you and in which you can taste and experience God's goodness. So therefore, the Christian is called to delight in his or her spouse. And that includes relationally, intimately, and throughout all of life. This is the Christian sexual ethic. This is the ethic that overturned the world, that made the West, that made Christendom. This is the ethic that can remake the world again, but we must embrace it 
and seek to live it out. I thank you for listening to this series. It wasn't always easy to talk about, but we've, we've made it through the six episodes, and now we're going to turn our attention to a new one coming up.